Hey, it's Gavin. Welcome to the For Friends and Family podcast. It is Tuesday, April 21st, and it's 9.01 a.m. here in Los Angeles. It's sunny. It's been a little bit overcast, not going to lie. Uh, there are 2.5 million confirmed cases around the world, um, and we have 171,000 deaths. Uh, but I also do like to put in there the information about the recovery. There are 659,000 people that have recovered. On the line with me via Skype is Raj Panu. Welcome, Raj. Gavin, how are you? Now, Raj is the triple threat, ladies and gentlemen. He lives in New York. He has a PhD, and his wife works at a hospital. Raj, tell me a little bit about yourself and your background. My background. Um, my background is uh, I have a PhD, as you pointed out, uh, from a long, long time ago. Um, uh, I mentioned to you in the uh, pre-interview that uh, it's not doing me a lot of good as I sit here. What's your PhD in? Uh, for two weeks. Um, my PhD is in biochemistry. I did a lot of work in virology, actually, um, interestingly, around smallpox, which uh, was another pandemic uh, you might remember a long, long time ago that required a, a big international uh, effort to eradicate. Um, so I know a little bit about 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 this. Not you know I'm I'm dangerous uh, in this area. Um, and then and then you know I've been a, a small business person for a long time too. I run an advertising agency here in New York. So uh, that's the other part of my profile. Now I did step on your joke. Um, a little bit there, which I thought was pretty funny. So, <laughs> the fact that you your PhD isn't doing really good because you haven't wore pants is that the line? That's right. That's right. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I forgot that that was a, it was a good joke. Dad level. All right, uh, let's talk. Let's start with your your wife. Um, so Shanu is a doctor. She's at one of the local hospitals. Is it as bad as everybody says in New York? It is. It is extremely bad here. There's no question about it. Um, it's it's scary on a lot of levels. So let's let's look at the hospitals and the hospital system first. Obviously, they there are um, the way the hospital systems work is that you know there are a lot of different private hospitals and public hospitals, and uh, they are sort of they're experiencing different issues based on. Um, there's sort of geographical region. So, for example, in Queens, which is the epicenter here in New York City, uh, the hospitals in that area are just overwhelmed, uh, particularly with emergent cases. And, you know, their staff, you know, are, are rotating in and out and, and mm -hmm. you know, have, have, you know, been suffering as well. They've had a number of deaths um, here in Manhattan, where I am. Uh, it's, um, you know, Mount Sinai has had enormous amount of of. Uh, of of covid pace, uh, cases uh, my wife works at a big cancer hospital called sloan kettering here and it's um it's interesting because all hospitals are in some ways cancer uh covid uh hospitals because you know it just you know for all you know it's just so prevalent here um cancer patients are particularly vulnerable um sloan kettering at this point um you know they've had enough they i think they have 1920 cases in the icu right now uh, which is which is a fair bit, but they it's not it hasn't overwhelmed uh, them that much. Although you know, and they've managed to really kind of move over to telemedicine, which is something you know that my wife is doing, which is a lot of like talk consulting with patients uh, via you know digital means. Um, so they, they there are you know a lot of uh, efforts to sort of safeguard physicians and health workers at our hospital, but it's also a relatively small hospital in the bigger scheme of things. It's not. Mm -hmm. 
primary care facility either. So, but it's it is really bad here. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and and it's why why do you feel that New York was so bad? Because here in LA, I mean, we've been talking to people, and the hospitals are essentially empty um, now. They've cleared out a lot of elected surgery, and yeah. there's and and these you know I've heard some reports on NPR on National Public Radio here that you know some of these hospitals in LA are losing losing like thirty million dollars a week. Yeah. Um, so uh, you know. From your from your perspective, is that what you know? Why did why why did this? Why did was it so bad for New York? Well, I think that, I think a lot of reasons. I think you know um, you know one of the the sort of dirty little secrets of the United States is that you know healthcare is very sort of disproportionately given, particularly preventative care, and so you have a lot of uh, people who are vulnerable economically who live in very dense. Uh, sort of housing circumstances and have a lot of sort of comorbid chronic disease. They have diabetes or overweight, they're smokers, all those things that are kind of like just the perfect storm mm-hmm. uh, for being vulnerable to this virus. And you have a lot of that here. It's a lot of density here in New York, as you know, I used to live here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's one, whereas you look at places like Los Angeles or other places, particularly West, as you move West, as you know, in the US, mm-hmm. you get a lot more sort of suburban living and a lot more sort of sprawl just in terms of urban design. You know, in but, the Northeast, it's it's fairly dense. And I think that's that's a big that's a big contributing. Factor. Then why didn't Chicago or like the other dense cities? Um, I guess I guess you could argue that New Orleans is quite dense and they had a quite a big flare up. Um, but I, I look at places in, you know, across America that are densely populated, populated that didn't have it as bad as New York. Is New York the most densely populated populated place in the U.S.? It is in, in the U.S., but it's, I don't think that's one factor, right? So you have a lot of vulnerable people. Was it to, would, like, I'm just going to jump in and say, what was it to do with the arrogance of New York? Because it seemed from out here that there were a lot of New Yorkers who were like, yeah, forget it. I don't care. I'm not going uh, to. Yeah, do- I mean, you know, it's it's it, it could be, you know, I think that's a possibility where people just, uh, you know, didn't comply. I mean, it's it's hard to get, you know, you've been here, you know, you know, the bars and restaurants and nightclubs and Mm -hmm. all of that kind of stuff. It's like, it's a thing. The other part is it's, you know, it is a truly global city and, you know, it, it does you, I think one of the things that they, I do remember reading this, I don't know how it, if it's held up as a fact, but the idea was that, um, you know, the, the introduction of the virus into New York was primarily from Europe. I think that was the prevailing theory at one point. I don't know whether that's still correct, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, just the number of flights and the number of commuters and the, the amount of business and travel that is associated with New York is, mm-hmm. is so high that I, I mean, I don't think it surprises anyone this would be a hub, but the way it's manifested, I mean, I think there are probably a lot of reasons for that. And sure, I bet you social arrogance, you know, arrogance and non-isolation and all of that stuff is part of it. Now, when your wife comes home uh, every evening, are you concerned for your family? Is she being like, does she have to self-isolate or does she not coming in, in, in contact with the COVID? And what's it like for your family? Because you have three kids and you live in Manhattan and, you know, it, it, are, were you worried? Um, h- how are you going about your daily yeah, lives? Yeah, I'm definitely worried. I, I would say that, you know, they have done a lot of things at our hospital where, you know, a lot of the, the, the frontline workers are m- uh, not – 
you know, they're wearing a lot of obviously protective health equipment. They're they're limiting their actual in-person interaction with patients. So she's seeing a lot of outpatients. There've been a lot of cancellations, as you said. You know, the hospitals are losing revenue. I can tell you, a uh, big hospital system in California is one of my clients. And, you know, the cancellation of surgeries has put so much financial pressure on these hospitals. It's unbelievable. How are they going to recover? Like, can I ask? Yeah, like, I have no idea. I mean, I have absolutely no idea. And this is the same thing at her hospital. But there's just been enormous amount of cancellation. So, you know, the extent to which, you know, obviously people still have cancer, you know, and in the COVID environment or not, those people who are absolutely critically, urgently, uh, you know, need, require treatment are getting it. But largely, it's being done on an outpatient basis. So she isn't going into the hospital as much as staying at home, just kind of like what we're doing and talking to patients. So, you know. So how often does she go in? Right now, it's once a week. Okay. Um, you and know, she has to get she gets it fully gowned up and everything. Unless you're dealing with inpatients, then you're there for the week. She has yet to do that. She's yet to rotate onto that service. Although I do think it's coming up pretty soon. And when she goes in, she has to get fully gowned up because the big issue has been that there isn't enough, um, you know, masks and and uh, equipment, PPE yeah. equipment for people. Is, yeah. is 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 that the case in New York, or have you guys do you, do you, does she now have enough um, to take care of what she need? Like when she goes in, she obviously gets fully gowned up, and then um, yeah, they have yeah. protocols. They do they do have masks, they do have gowns. Again, it's relatively small. Even the service is very small. So, but I, from what I understand, it's some of these you know these hospitals out in queens and other places they do have a real lack of ppe people are making their own masks making their own gowns actually one of our friends is um who we have these kind of sunday night drinking sessions with is a physical therapist uh, mm -hmm. at a hospital in the upper west side and he was telling me i think they had 20 some of his patients have died 20 of his patients have died from covid and from covid and uh, he does a lot of rehab among elderly people. Oh, well. okay. And um, it, I mean, and he is like fully. I like if there's anyone who's at extremely high risk. I mean, his hospital is just completely, just completely overwhelmed by COVID. And now, they, he was just telling me. And you know what's crazy about this is, you, you go in, you 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 put on your gown, you put on your all your PPE, so you're wearing your N95 mask and a face shield and all your gowns and everything. And uh, and then you go in and you do all your work and then you are responsible for cleaning your gear, you what? know, and apparently one of the greatest transmission effects that was seen, I think, in South Korea was when doctors went and cleaned their gear after they were with the patients. It wasn't actually direct exposure from the patients. It was like all the aerosols and stuff that were on them, face shields and stuff like that. So, so they went and cleaned it and, and they would get it then they would be, they yeah, would put it on yeah. their hand and put it in their face. And, and it's, it and it's so easy. I mean, if you've had a long shift and you're tired, you can make that simple mistake. And this is, yeah. this seems to be more contagion. Now let, let, let's, you know, with your, your background, mm. um, what is, you know, what, what, a lot of people are struggling with the idea that this is just the flu, right? It's another flu strain, which it is true. However, is it more contagious? Is it 
can you can you help people understand about why we're panicking so much about this when it's essentially the flu? Is it because we don't have a vaccine? Is it, it you know a lot? Or is it that it kills people at a higher rate? What what why should people be really upset? Because there seems to be a lot of people here in America who are like, let's open this back up. You know, they're going on their legislation, and you know, in Michigan, and they're walking up with their guns and saying, hey, we got to open this back up and all that sort of stuff. You know, and and when you live in a society, you have to assume that both sides are right, right? So where are we here? Can you help explain in in simple terms for people as to why this is, you know, such a big deal? Yeah. So first of all, let's go to the the protests. I I personally understand why, you know, I mean, there are a lot of people who, you know, everybody needs to work. People need money. People, you know, you have to, life Right now is completely on pause. It's extremely frustrating. I personally find it very frustrating. So I'm not unsympathetic, even though these are weird, politically motivated things that are happening in democratic states. Largely, the the sentiment is is something that makes a lot of sense to me because I I'm extremely sympathetic. And you know there are a lot of people who who have to work. You know, mm-hmm. and I'm one of those people, and you're one of those. You know, you can't. You but can, we you can know, do our jobs remotely. We're knowledge we, workers. That's right. But if but you work in a factory still, or something, very difficult. Yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult for people. It's hard. And uh, and so I'm not unsympathetic. So let's let's kind of unpack this in different ways. So what is dangerous about this virus? Yes, extremely contagious. Um, but that's not the real issue. You know, that's part of the issue. Uh, and does it have a high death rate? It has a, it has a pretty high death rate. Even, you know, when you're talking about two, two and a half, three percent, that's that's extremely high. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you you know, when you're thinking about the flu, people say, oh, people die of the flu all the time. It's true. But the death rate associated with the flu is very, very low. It's like point zero zero one percent. So, you're, you know, it's a, there's a there's a there's a very strong difference in death rates. But that's not the real issue. That's part of the issue. The other part is if you look at the United States, I'm just talking about the United States, but this is generally true all over the world. You know, you don't you're not you haven't really designed your health system to have ICU beds that are just like huge, vast rooms where you're going to constantly, you know, put thousands of people. That's not how it's designed. There are one million ICU beds available at any time in the United States. Right. And of those. You know, uh, how many of them are going to be used for people who are in car accidents and people who have strokes? And, you know, so there's only a very small number of available, you know, beds for people mm-hmm. in at any given time because the system is sort of geared around the current status of healthcare in the United States. It's not prepared for this massive additional burden, which is what has happened. So that is that's part of it. So you're getting people like here in New York. You know, I was looking at the New York Times this morning. There's a very interesting sort of stat where they're looking at what are the kind of number of deaths that are typical of, you know, New York. And then when you see statistically this last month and a half period, how has that differed historically from you know, the death rates in New York over the past decades. Mm-hmm. And you can see very clearly that it's, you know, hundreds of percentage points more of people who are dying or in need of, you know, emergency services. And that that's not how 
capacities built in hospital systems. That's why they have to open the Javits Center. Now, they, granted, they didn't have to use the whole thing, but I think eight, nine hundred people went through there. Um, you know, there's there's one in Central Park, like an emergency healthcare system. There's there's stuff like that that's going around. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I guess I, from that's my... one of the reasons why it's so dangerous. Yeah, I think the issue for, for, for me right now is that, you know, we're a couple years away or probably, you know, a year and a half away from a vaccine. Um, and that's still got to be tested. So this is going to be around for a long time. And, yeah. you know, it's and and what's happening in Sweden, um, which is interesting uh, because I've talked to some people over in Finland and some people in Sweden um, that uh, they essentially the reason why they didn't close down is that they have a a mortgage crisis essentially is the background to it. They couldn't close down the economy because if they did, there was going to be a huge issue around people not being able to pay things and it could collapse the economy. That's one of the reasons they stayed open out of desperation. And I was like, oh, that's interesting information to know. But it looks like that what they did, this herd immunity that the UK was going to do, um, you know, which which politicians couldn't really jump onto because it's 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 people die, and and no politician wants to be labeled with killing people. Um, but it looks like the herd immunity in in Sweden is starting to work, and that people are all going to have you know immunity at well not all of everybody, but they will. And there are these discussions which are somewhat callous, but still discussions. Not the fact that that. You know, what happened in Sweden is that those people were going to die anyway. Most of it is nursing homes. Most of it is older. In fact, almost all of the deaths are, you know, older people. Yes, there are some younger deaths, which the media pick up and, you know, a 19 year old dies or, you know, and, and, and people freak out and they think that that's everybody. But when you really look at the data from the CDC that's coming out, you can see even here in the United States that, you know, a lot more people are dying of pneumonia when they um, uh, uh, that are not related to COVID. So the, the issue comes is that it's very hard for people who don't have the background that you have to understand and say, well, let's just get back to work. I mean, I don't understand. We're, we're going to get it. And, you know, they're talking amongst themselves. So I, I sort of get where they're at. What do you think of what happened, what's happening in Sweden? And what's your perspective on that? Well, you know, the reporting on Sweden isn't as clear cut as you're, as you're indicating. Um, you know, they have... They've had, you know, some 1,500, 1,600 deaths already, and it's going up. Um, and so it's, you know, it's not clear. I had a lot of deaths, you know, I point out in, in you know, elderly people. I think when you're designing public policy and public health policy, however, you know, looking at people as expendable is not actually, I think, the right way to, uh, to design it. Having said that, you know, it's... Again, I'm super sympathetic. I get everybody wants to go to work. You want to open stuff up and, you know, this thing isn't going to leave us. So how are you going to do it? I would not want to be a politician and a decision maker in this time. I do think it's really freaking hard to to figure this stuff out. Um, I think a good a good case and something to think about, however, is Singapore. Singapore, as you know, is a place where they really got ahead of it extremely early. They locked everything down. They had like a massive national effort to, you know, clean and sanitize. They they're quite a compliant culture in general, so everybody was socially isolating, and it worked incredibly well initially. And now they have this massive spike in cases that were coming from essentially foreign workers in like high dense, uh, high density, uh, um, you know, housing uh, mm -hmm. in in the country, and it th it's really threatening to 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 turn everything around. So, you know, the the idea that somehow this thing is going to go away, 
or that we can like just kind of like accommodate it is just isn't the case just to, by the very nature of what this disease is. I also think that, you know, there are places like Canada in, in particularly is a country to me that has done extremely well. British Columbia in particular, mm-hmm. unbelievable. They, there are even in Ontario, as you know, Doug Ford has done a really good job. And they are kind of now putting in place sort of strategies to think about how to reopen. Um, I mean, you've heard this before. A million people are saying it. Obviously, governor of New York is saying it. But to me, testing is the key, except, you know, the, at least testing and contact tracing. I'm not sure that I believe in this sort of antibody sort of immunity argument. According to the WHO this morning, only 4% of people who um, uh, actually have antibodies, you know, who have recovered. So it's not like, you know, there there is a, the potential to be reinfected. So, you know, I, I don't know what the answer is. Um, no, and, and, I, and, and, you know, but I, I think I, you're, I, I you're worry about, sorry, I worry about Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I think it's really interesting to get your perspective here, you know, from New York and that, you know, it is bad and that 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 that, you know, the politicians are trying to do the best they can on all sides. And what has been encouraging it from a human perspective for me, um, you know, I talked with my cousin in South Korea and he I said, you know, uh, uh, about a couple of weeks ago and I said, how are things going there? And he says, well, we don't have that many cases now, but he says technology is being used heavily. You put an app, you go to the doctor. If you have it, you have this app, it traces you, you must go directly home. If you don't go directly home, they come and find you and take you home. Mm. Um, so, And it also can tell you the number of people that you've been in contact with because the app is location-based, yeah. so it can put everyone around. So I'm interested to see how the technology will, will help us. I think that, you I know, th- there seems to be some very simple, you know, things that people can do, which is like, you know, stay away from nursing homes, stay away from old people, you know, like yeah. stop, you know, wear a mask if you're around people and old people have to sort of, you know, they're going to have to suck it up a little bit, which really is difficult because, you know, they like to go out. Our, our parents, you know, they want to go out and, and they're used to socializing. We're, we're a social animal. So I think it's harder for them and they're less likely to change their ways. So I, 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 I'm, I'm, excited and interested to see what happens it's very you know it's awful i think we both agree there um the the long-term effects of this are going to be interesting and singapore is something that i didn't necessarily know about you know that's when we were trying to flatten this curve but if we don't allow people to be exposed at some point we're going to end up with a singapore singapore situation you can't keep everyone indoors all the time and i think that now that we have the ventilators and the hospitals are somewhat ready um, for if we had another little influx. I think that it will be, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see how this comes out. The one thing that is really positive about this, it was it was it was heartening to see the globe come together. Like, yes, China may yeah. not be reporting all the things. Yes, it was nice to see here in America, Republicans and Democrats working together to get something done. And it was really, really, it it took a lot of weight off my shoulders, just considering our current political climate, that people, when the <laughs> chips were down, were willing to work together, right? They were willing to come out of this. And I think that that is the big thing, that humans are willing to come, you know, come together and do stuff. All right, I'm going to give you the last yeah. word. What what do you think the the future looks like? Like what what are some of the things that they're talking about sort of, you know, that your wife's hospital talking about because this is going to be around for a long time. What are some of the things that people may have to change in their lives that we hadn't anticipated? Yeah, look, I, I the thing that I worry about in New York, uh, honestly, is is kind of the economic and social consequences of this. More, you know, I mean, there's the the public health and virology stuff, and that's that's huge. But you know, the consequences of this 
um, economic, you know, uh, situation that we find ourselves in is going to, you know, it's going to create very difficult times in the city and in places all over the world, you know, not just, not just big cities like New York. Um, so, but what I am heartened by, and I'm optimistic fundamentally is that New York, you know, the, going back to that New York attitude that you were talking about, you know, there's something, you know, heartening about the fact that, you know, people in New York, um, support each other. They're very community oriented. They're very neighborhood oriented. And I do see that kind of resilience uh, playing out in the future and, you know, helping, you know, mitigate some of the problems and particularly the economic and social problems that are, are you know, in, inevitable and are coming in relatively short order to the city. So, you know, I, I do think, you know, we're going to get through this, but, I, you know, I just it's going to be it's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. But I do think, uh, you know, if, 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 as you said, if people work together and, and, uh, you know, see, recognize their similarities more than their differences, then, then chances are that things are going to get a lot better, a lot faster. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I'd definitely like to check in with you again in, you know, a couple of weeks and just see how things are going in New York. But the, your perspective is really helpful. And uh, thanks a lot for coming on. Thanks, Gavin. Great, great to talk to you.